James chapter 5. Would you stand with me? Y'all done got me. I'm going to go home Sunday morning and say, all right, y'all stand up now when I read the Bible. (laughs) Anyway, James chapter 5. Thank you for being here. I appreciate that with all my heart. Thank you for praying for us. Please remember us in prayer, and I'll pray for y'all, and we just trust the Lord to give us good days. Look at verse 13. We have some questions that are asked in James chapter 5 and verse 13. And here's the first question. Is any among you afflicted? And then we have this thought, let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. And that's all I'm going to read. But I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open just right here to this text tonight. And I want to preach, and this is not even going to make sense, but hopefully will when we get to it. But I want to preach tonight on this thought, what kind of church is Walridge going to be? What kind of a church is Walridge Baptist Church going to be? All right? Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word now and speak to our hearts tonight? And God, use this text, these questions, these verses, these truths, God, to just seal them in our hearts. Lord, about this church, God, may your hand be upon it. Use it as we move forward from this point going into these days. What great days of opportunity. What exciting days to be involved in ministry and preaching the gospel. Lord, I pray your blessings upon this preacher, his dear wife, his family, his precious boys, and this church. And God, use it as a bright light in a very dark place spiritually. God, use this place to reach many people for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. What kind of a church is this church going to be? Now, i got to clear up that question for just a minute because when I ask you that question, I'm not talking about, you know, what kind of, what kind of a flavor of a church is this church going to be? It says right out front on the sign said it's Wall Ridge Baptist Church. I appreciate that. You know, in our day, a lot of people try to drop the name. They're trying to disguise what they are. They're trying to slip through this world incognito. I'm not a bit interested in that. Look, I'm Baptist from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And let me say, that's not going to get me into heaven. But I'm glad after I got saved, I got affiliated, joined up with a good Baptist church. I'm not asking, is this church going to be a Baptist church or a Methodist church? It says out front, it's a Baptist church. I heard about these three preachers one time. One was a Pentecostal, one was a Presbyterian, and one was a Baptist. And they, they met at the restaurant on Monday morning. And they kind of just sat down together, started to talk about their church services yesterday. And then somebody brought up the question, if the Apostle Paul came back today, which church would he join? Well, the, uh, the, the Pentecostal preacher spoke up and said, without doubt. Without doubt, Paul would join the Pentecostal church. He'd appreciate our fire and our enthusiasm. Oh, yeah, without doubt, he'd be a Pentecostal. Well, the Presbyterian preacher spoke up and said, I happen to disagree with you. I think if he came back, he'd be a Presbyterian preacher. He'd appreciate our, he'd appreciate our scholarism and our intellectualism. Oh, yeah, without doubt, if he came back today, he would be a Presbyterian. Well, the old Baptist preacher didn't say anything. Just sat there in silence, kept eating. Finally, he looked over him and said, ain't you got nothing to say? He said, yeah. He said, I don't think he'd change. 
Can I tell you something? I don't think, I don't think I want to change tonight. You know, a lot of people are, a lot of preachers that I got started with, just a young preacher. I started preaching when I was 18 years old, and a lot of those preachers have changed, and man, they're resembling something now that, man, I don't even know who they are anymore, but you know, by the grace of God, I'm 56 years old, I guess I'm getting close to the finish line, so to speak, as far as pastoring and all that concerned, and I just don't want to change. I think I'm going to stay where I started, amen? So I'm not talking about what kind of church it's going to be if it's going to be a Baptist church. I'm not talking about the kind of church it's going to be like that old boy. You know, when you go to the hospital, get ready to have surgery, you know, you got to fill out this questionnaire and they got to do all that pre-op work and all that stuff. So this boy was filling out this, uh, this, uh, questionnaire and he got down to the question that said church preference and he put down red brick. Well, I, I'm not talking about, you know, whether it's going to be a brick church or a, a cinder block church or a vinyl side. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what kind of church do you want this church to be? What kind of a church does the Lord want this church to be? If I took a poll, and I don't know how many members are, I'm just assuming the overwhelming majority of the people in this room tonight are, are members here at Walridge Baptist Church. So if we took a poll tonight, if I passed out a little polling uh, piece of paper, and I just had you to write down what kind of a church you would want this church to be, what would you write down? I mean, what would your answer be to that question? What kind of a church is this church going to be? Well, let me give you my answer to that question. I think this church ought to be a people church. I think this church ought to be about, it ought to be about people. You know, a lot of people have the mistaken notion today that churches are about budgets and buildings and bank accounts. But can I tell you something? That's not what church is about. Church ought to be about it ought to be about people. It ought to be about people like you. It ought to be about people that live in this community. It ought to be about people that don't live in this community in the outskirts of this place. This church ought to be about people. When I was growing up, and I'm sure it's just probably, probably over here, I've been, I've been raised up in church all my life. I, I was taken to church nine months before I was born. I mean, man, first place I went to after I got out of the hospital. I don't even think we went home. I think we went to church after I got out of the hospital. I was raised up with an old-fashioned daddy. Daddy thought, uh, you know, y'all get your hair cut about as often as you mow your yard. And that's just kind of the way I was raised up. Church. I mean, I thought any time we left the house after 6 o'clock at night uh, and went by a church, man, that had a magnet on it, just sucked our car right in the parking lot. That's all we did when I was growing up. Went to church. That's the way I was raised up. So I remember when I was in Sunday school as just a little kid, we used to do something like this. Here's a church and here's a steeple. And if you open the door, see all the people. And I would say, I think that's what church ought to be about. I think church ought to be about people. Now, with all that said this, uh, this, uh, this evening, you're probably wondering why in the world did you read this text? Because you ask most anybody what these verses are about. They're going to say these verses are about healing. And, and while I do agree that that's certainly in this context, I think James is talking about more here than just healing. I think he's talking about a church setting. Because as you read through these verses, if you look at verse 13, notice these words, is any among you, among you, James said. So I think he's got in picture, uh, in his mind, a picture of a, of a group of people that are meeting together in the church or in somebody's house or whatever the case was in those days. And he says, hey, is anybody among you? He comes on down again in verse number 14. Is any sick among you? 
And he jumps down to verse number 14. He starts talking about the elders of the church. In verse number 15, he talks about prayer. Verse number 16, he talks about praying for one another. So I think in reality what we've got here is a church setting. And while we do have some in these verses, some truth about anointing people with oil and all that. I get all that, but I think really in reality, James is writing about a church. And he's talking about the people in the church. So if I could tonight, stay with me for just a moment. I know you probably don't even know where I'm going with this, but hang on, you will. I just want to mention tonight three types of people that this church ought to be about. Right here in this text. Three types of people that your church my church, or any church ought to be about. Let me say them quickly. First of all, number one, I think church ought to be about hurting people. I think church ought to be about hurting people. Notice the question here in verse 13. And these are what we call rhetorical questions. They are questions that are asked when we already know the answer. So James asked the question there in verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? That word afflicted means to be without strength. It kind of carries with it the idea, is anybody over there that's uh, in bondage? Is there anybody over there that's trying to get set free? Is there anybody over there that's that's uh, wound up and, and, and caught up in something they ought not be caught up in? And you desire to get free, but you can't get free. You know what that tells me? I think James is writing about folks that are hurting. And all over this world tonight, this world is filled with hurting people. You know, somebody once said this. Somebody said that when people, most people in our day think about the word church or think of the church, they think of some musty smelling building that is totally irrelevant and has lost touch with human hurt and with human need. Can I say that's a tragedy? Can I say it is a tragedy? When most people think about a church, they think about a building that's shut up all week. And when you walk in there, it don't smell very good. And the message is just lost touch with what's going on in the world today. And it's lost touch with its purpose for being in the world. Can I say that is a tragedy? Because, ladies and gentlemen, hey, let's don't forget the fact we live in a world of hurting people. And if there's any place hurting people ought to be welcomed and Wanted, it's in the house of God. Everybody in this room tonight knows somebody that's hurting. Everybody in this room tonight knows somebody that's, uh, that's hooked on alcohol. Everybody in this room tonight knows somebody's hooked on drugs. Everybody in this room knows somebody that's addicted to pornography. Everybody in this room tonight knows somebody that's going through a divorce. Everybody in this room knows somebody whose kids are breaking their heart. You know somebody that's lost their job. You know somebody that's struggling financially. You know somebody that thinks the sun's never going to shine again on their life. You know somebody. You know what they are. They're hurting people. And they need to understand there's a place in this community where they can come and feel wanted and feel welcome. This church ought to be about hurting people. Can I say this? Jesus was about hurting people. Everywhere he went. You know something? If you would have followed Jesus around in that day, in the day that he was here on this earth, you wouldn't find him hanging out with the religious muckety-muck of that day. The religious, the, the religious high society fluting people of that day. You wouldn't have found Jesus hanging around the upper crust. You know what the upper crust is, don't you? It's a bunch of crumbs held together by a lot of dough. That's what the upper crust is. 
You wouldn't have found Jesus running around with that crowd that day. Let me tell you who you'd have found Jesus running around with. You'd saw Jesus spending time with a woman that had been married five times and was shacking up with number six. You'd found Jesus hanging around with old people that had leprosy and they were eat up and they didn't smell good and they didn't look good. You'd find Jesus hanging around with a maniac of Gadara. Society didn't know what to do with him. Their only answer was, man, we don't know what to do with this guy. And they put him out in the graveyard and chained him up. But he was a such miserable condition. He kept breaking the chains. He was taking the rocks and cutting himself, trying to kill himself. That's the crowd Jesus hung around with. By the grace and the help of God, let's don't ever get to the place that we think we're better than that crowd. Because I want to tell you something, but for the grace of God tonight, every last one of us could be a part of that crowd tonight. Let's don't ever get to the place that we're too good to walk up to somebody and stick our hand out. They may not look like we think they ought to look. They may not dress like we think they ought to dress. They may not smell like we think they ought to smell. But let's don't ever get to the place that we're too high and too mighty to walk up to somebody, stick our hand out, hug their neck, and welcome them to the house of God. Amen. This church ought to be about hurting people. Can I tell you why I think there are so many hurting people in this world? you got to follow me. This is a little bit of Gammon's theology right here. All right? Let me tell you why I think there are so many hurting people in this world tonight. We all know that when Jesus, before Jesus created the world, that Jesus created angels. Angels were already here before the world was. I don't know how many angels there are. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 12, there's an innumerable company of angels. What's that mean? That means there's so many of them you can't count them. There's an infinite number of angels. But also from the record of Scripture, it seems apparent to us that over all these angels that God had three, I guess what we would call mighty angels or archangels. There was uh, there was Gabriel, there was Michael, and then there was Lucifer. And these three angels were over seemingly over the organization of the angels. There was Michael. I like Michael. He's the military angel. You know why I like him? He's always fighting everywhere he went. He'd been a good Baptist. Every time you see Michael, he's fighting with somebody. The book of Daniel, he's wrestling with the prince of Persia. Over in the book of Jude, we're we're told that he disputed with the devil about the body of Moses. I mean, man, he's always fighting somebody. I like Michael. Amen. He's a military angel. Gabriel, he's a messenger angel. Seemed like any time that there was a message to be delivered, a special message from God. You read the book of Daniel, find out Daniel had been praying several days, hadn't got an answer about that time. Angel touched him on the shoulder, turned around, there's Gabriel with the answer to his prayer. He had a message. He's a messenger angel. By the way, who was it that came to Mary and told her about what the Lord was going to do in her life? It's Gabriel. Gabriel's the messenger angel. Michael's the military angel. Then Lucifer was the musical angel. You do understand that when God created Lucifer, that He created him over the head of the, of the, of the, uh, the group of angels called the cherubims. The Bible said that Lucifer was the anointed cherub. And when God created him, man, God created in Lucifer a beautiful, beautiful angel. You read the book of Ezekiel 28? He had all these colors about him. I mean, he was beautiful. The, 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 the carbuncle, the, the emerald, the sapphire, the, uh, the chalcedony, the, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx. I mean, they were all created. He was beautiful, but he was also musical. 
The Bible talks about, you know, there are three types of instruments. There's percussion instruments, things we beat on. There's uh, stringed instruments, like the piano things we play, uh, the guitar. But then there's the uh, percussion, the string, and the wind instruments. When you read about Satan or Lucifer when God created him, all three of those instruments were created in him. The Bible talks about his tabrets. That's percussion. The Bible talks about his pipes. That's that's wind. The Bible talks about the vial over in Isaiah chapter 14. That's the stringed instruments. And most people think that what Lucifer was, he was the choir leader of heaven. And what would happen every morning, the angels of God in one long eternal morning would gather together and they would just get in the heavenly choir and they would sing praise and adoration and worship and glory and glory to God. And right down there in front of them was an angel by the name of Lucifer. And he could just open his mouth and this music would just proceed out of his mouth. And those angels would sing and lift up their voices in praise unto God. And everything was wonderful until one day Lucifer got an evil thought in his heart. Lucifer thought to himself, you know, I'm so beautiful. I'm so talented. I'm so wise. The praise and the worship they're given to the one that sits on the throne really needs to be directed toward me. Can I tell you this? First church split known to mankind wasn't on earth. It was in heaven. Satan started the whispering campaign. Lucifer did. And he convinced a third of the angels. You say, How many is that? I don't know. I'll tell you what I do know. It's three out of every ten. That's 33 out of every hundred. That's 333 out of every thousand. He convinced a third of those angels to go with him in his rebellion, his revolt against God. Well, they all gathered together and they thought, man, we're going to dethrone God. And Lucifer's going to sit on the throne and we're going to set him up and worship him. And there was a war in heaven. Now, you and I know that God may have many enemies, but God has no rivals. (laughs) I got to say that one more time. I like the sound of that. Our God has a whole lot of enemies, but there's nobody that can rival the power of our God. And Lucifer went up against God, and Jesus said this, Luke 10, 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. You know what God did? God kicked him. I hate to use these Hebrew words on y'all, but can I use a Hebrew word? God kicked that sucker right out of heaven. That's right. And Lucifer, from that moment to this very moment, has had but one burning, passionate desire, and that's to get back at God for what God did to him. But he's no match for God. So he realizes this. If he's going to hurt the heart of God, if he's going to wound the heart of God, then he's got to hurt what God loves. Now, what does God love? I am so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given wonderful things in the Bible. I see this is the greatest that Jesus... Boy, aren't you glad Jesus loves you? Amen. I don't know why, but I sure am glad He does. He loves me. And the devil knows if I'm going to hurt Him, the only way I can hurt Him is to hurt Him through what He loves. And so the devil sets about to destroy people's lives. That's why we have an an opioid crisis in America. That's why we have homosexuality. That's why we have divorce. That's why we have people that are, 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 are hooked on alcohol. 
That's why we're in the mess that we're in. Satan is trying to destroy what God loves to get back at God. But I just want to say tonight, there ought to be a place where people can come that are hurting. And they won't find somebody who judges them. They won't find somebody who turns up their nose at them. They won't find somebody that looks at them with great disgust. But they'll find somebody that will stick their hand out and say, Welcome. We're glad you're here. And by the way, you're always welcome here. This church ought to be a place, say it with me, number one, for hurting people. Hurting people. Can I say number two as I hurry along? Let me say number two, this church ought to be a place for happy people. Happy people. Look again at this question. Look again at verse number 13. He says this, is any Mary? Notice it's not Mary. I'm from North Carolina, so we pronounce everything with two syllables. I mean, when we say hey in North Carolina, it's hey, two syllables. My name's one syllable word, Tim, but over there it's Tim. I mean, we talk country. And the word there is any Mary. Happy. You know, if there's any place somebody ought to be able to come and to find happy people, it ought to be the house of God. I mean, man, we ought to be happy about it. But you know, the sad thing about it is most churches resemble more, their, their services resemble more of a funeral service than they do a service of celebration and a celebration of worship. Man, we ought to be happy people. Hey, when people walk in our buildings, they may not want what we got. But they ought to know one thing about it. We sure are happy with it. I mean, there ought to be a smile on your face. There ought to be a spring in your step. There ought to be a song in your heart. I mean, when you walk in, I mean, man, we ought to be hugging necks and slapping fives. And us men ought to be bumping chests, man. And we ought to be just happy about being able to come to the house of God. But I'm going to tell you something. Bless your heart. We're some of the most miserable people that's ever been. And it shows up in our worship. Can I tell you something? I'm going to toot our home for just a minute. But we're Baptists. How many of y'all are Baptists? Now, if you happen to be from some other flavor, we're glad you're here. But can I just say this? We're Baptists, right? Can I tell you something? We got some of the best. We got the best doctrine that there is out there. I mean, what about that once saved always? You can say what you want to about it. But I thank God for the eternal security of the believer. Hey, what about salvation by grace? You can't lift a foot nor a finger to help God save you. He's done all the work for you. What about that? What about that pre-tribulational rapture? Amen. I'm glad I'm not going to have to go through half of it. I'm glad I'm not going to have to go through the, I'm not going to have to go through all of it. I'm glad, friend, before, before the tribulation sets in, before the first second of the first minute of the first hour of the first day of the first week of the first month of the first year of the tribulation period, Jesus is coming and we're out of here, friend. Somebody once said it like this. For us, when Jesus comes, Atmosphere, hemisphere, stratosphere, out of here. We're leaving, man. You can't find anything out on the street any better than that. We got great doctrine. But I tell you, bless your heart, we're some of the deadest people in the world. Preachers say, hey, 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 there's a hell, but thank God for Jesus. We don't have to go there. Our response. Preacher said, Jesus is coming soon. So I said, I wish he'd shut up because he ain't coming right now. 
I mean, we're just dead about it. Boy, if there ought to be a place that we can come and rejoice and be happy. If there's a place where lost people ought to be able to come and see that Jesus makes a difference in your life, that He may give you, He gives you joy in your heart. It ought to be the house of God. Church ought to be a place for happy people. Happy people. I heard about this man, really this lady, she was 87 years old, and she went to one of these, these, uh, senior citizens meeting. And while she was there, she got asked out on a date by a 92 year old man. That's right. She goes home. She tells her daughter, she said, Honey, I met a nice man today at the meeting. And he asked me to go out for ice cream and just go with him to the mall Saturday night. Her daughter said she lived with her daughter. Her daughter said, What what did you say? He said, Well, I said I'd do it. She said, Mama, you're kidding. Mama, you're 87 years old. Mama, you, you don't need this. She said, Oh, it'll be fine. So Saturday rolled around. She said, oh, Mama, I want to tell you something before you go. Isn't it amazing how we become the parents? My mom and dad both just passed away. My daddy passed away. And my mama kind of had that dementia stuff. So I become the parent. She got out in the car. My mama would get out in the car and just ride off and not tell anybody. And when she'd come back, I'd be sitting there in the carport, patting my foot like they used to do when I went off. She'd get out of the car and say, Mama, where are you being? I was the parent. You better not go off without telling me. <laughs> I could just hear myself. I'm saying, man, I'm turning into my parents. She said, now, Mama, you're going out on a date with this guy. But let me tell you something. If he gets fresh with you, you smack him, Mama. Don't you let... Oh, she said, honey, it'll be okay. Well, about 7 o'clock at night, here he comes pulling up. He opens up the door, gets out of the car, and starts up the sidewalk to, to, to pick his date up. Took him ten minutes to get to the door. Finally gets up there and rings the door. She goes to the door. and I mean, here they go back to the car again, get in the car. Make a long story short, two o'clock that morning, she still ain't home. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Her daughter's highly upset. I mean, she's highly upset. She's got every floodlight, every porch light, the blinds are open. I mean, man, she's she's blowing her hair. She's pacing the floor back. And, and about 2.15, here they come driving up. Well, she's looking out through the blinds. He walks her up there, gives her a little kiss on the jaw. And she comes in the house. She said, Mama, where in the world have you been? She said, Oh, honey, we just lost track of time. She said, Well, did you have a good time? She said, Well, I had to smack him three times. <laughs> she said, Mama, did he get fresh for you? She said, No. She said, I thought he died three times. I had to smack him to see if he was alive. I wonder if the Lord came to our church this coming Sunday morning. How many people is he going to have to smack before he finds somebody alive? Can I tell you something, man? We ought to be happy about this. If anybody's got any right in this world to be happy and to have joy, it's the people of God. We ought to be happy about knowing Jesus. Yeah, man. Church ought to be a place for happy people. Church ought to be a place for hurting people. And then number three, church ought to be a place for honest people. Honest people. Yeah, look at verse 16. Look at this verse. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Can I tell you something tonight? Church ought to be the place that we can come to and just be honest about things. But can I tell you something? Most of the time, this is the last place in the world we'll ever come and be honest. 
I think many times when we come to church, what we do before we get here, we put our everything is okay mask on. And we get out of the car and walk in because we don't want anybody to think that everything's okay in our life. We want, we don't want anybody to know that we're having problems. Our homes get ready to break up. The kids are getting ready to, 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 to run off into sin. Uh, this is going on. I don't have enough money to pay my bills. I'm about to lose my car. We don't want anybody to know that. So right when we pull it in park, before we get out, we put that mask on. But can I tell you something? Can I just be honest with you? Ain't a one of us in this room got it all together. I'm talking about from this pulpit to that back wall, there ain't a one of us in this room that's without sin. There's not a one of us in this room tonight that's got everything together. All the pieces are moving in the right direction. Because we're not. Can I tell you something? We're people. We all got problems tonight. Somebody said this, the only fellow in the whole world who's got all his problems behind him is a school bus driver. We all got problems. You got them. I got them. Watch this. We all got our struggles. We all got the battles that we have to fight. We all got things that pull at us and tug at us, trying to get us to do wrong. We all got baggage from the past of our life that if we aren't careful, if we get too close to that point where we walked into the family of God, and if we don't move away from that, if we hover around that line, we can reach back over into that past and bring some of that baggage out of an ungodly life into a saved life. I'm here to tell you, everybody in this room has got problems tonight. And there's not a one of us that don't need prayer. Not a one of us. I heard about this little boy sitting in church. And and this happened to me when I was growing up. I was a little bit rambunctious. I know that's hard to believe. But when I was growing up in church, because we went all the time. Daddy mowed the yard. Mama played the piano. Daddy taught Sunday school. Daddy volunteered to clean the church. Daddy mowed the yard. Daddy sang in a quartet. And then later on, Daddy started preaching and started pastoring his own church. Man, I was church to death. And I just, in, in church, sometimes I'd misbehave. Can I say this? You ain't never been pinched until you get pinched by your mama sitting in church. I still got bruises. My mama's been dead for three years and I still got bruises on my legs when she pinched me when I was growing up. I heard about this one mama. Her little boy was giving her a fit. I mean, just giving her a hard time. And man, she tried everything. She was giving him pencil and paper and here's some crackers, Nilla wafers, whatever, trying. And he just would not be satisfied. Finally, she had it up here. She just grabbed him up, started toward the back. And right when he got to the back door, that little baby said, y'all pray for me. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Ain't a one of us in this room tonight that couldn't stand up and say, y'all pray for me. Because we all got problems, friend. I wouldn't be at all surprised. I love y'all with all my heart. I do. But can I tell you, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there weren't some man tonight that could honestly stand up and say, Preacher, y'all pray for me. Man, I tell you, I, feel, I just feel like sometimes I, I get on that computer and I see some of that stuff and I just, man, I'm just drawn to that preacher. And man, I know that's not what I'm supposed to do. And I, I get caught up in that. And preacher, I find myself looking at stuff sometimes that I ought not to look at. Hey, does that sound familiar? 
And I hope not. That's probably the case. But when we come to church, shh, don't say nothing about that. When we ought to stand up and say, Preacher, before you preach, can I just ask, can I just ask folks in here to pray for me? I've really been struggling lately. Maybe some of you ladies got some struggles. I don't, I'm not a lady, so I don't know what ladies struggle with. Maybe yours is, maybe you struggle with shopping too much. I don't know what ladies struggle with. I ain't one. I don't know. But we all got our problems. And there ought to be a place where we can come and just get real. And just say, pray for me. Man, my family's breaking my heart. Our, our marriage is on the rocks. My, my, I, I work with somebody and it's just torture to work with them. And we ought to be able to find somebody that will say, I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's go to the altar. And I'm going to get some men and let's go together. We're going to pray about this. That's what he said there. Confess your faults one to another and gossip about one another. Is that what the text said? Not the King James. Now, if you got one of them funky Bibles, it might say that. But you got the King James that says something to this effect. Confess your faults one to another and pray, not judge. Not gossip. It's amazing to me how when we find out a little bit of juicy gossip, we all will get on the phone and here's what we want to do. Now look, this is not gossip. This is a prayer request. I'm just asking for prayer now. No, you're not. You just want to spread it. But there ought to be a place where somebody says, shh, it's okay. Let's go, let's go pray about it. Let's get on the altar. Somebody once said this, there are two times in life when we put a mask on. Number one, Halloween. Batman was running around in here last night. I tried to get him to sign my Bible. He looked at me and said, I don't know what to write. I said, okay, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Halloween comes, put a mask on. You know why? We're pretending to be something we're not. And then when you rob a bank, hope none of you's done that lately. But when you rob a bank, put a mask on. You know why? You're trying to conceal who you really are. And I think when we come to church, we try to act like something we're not. And we try to conceal what we really are. When in reality, on the inside, we just need somebody to pray for us. Boy, if there ought to be a place any of us can come and do that, it ought to be this place right here. And not 500 people get on the telephone and start calling everybody about it. Because again, let me tell you something. He that is without sin, cast ye the first stone among you. We all got problems. Look, old J. Vernon McGee used to say, If you knew me like I knew me, you wouldn't want to come hear me preach. And if I knew you like you know you, I wouldn't want you to come hear me preach. You know why? We all got problems. And there needs to be a place where we can come and just get honest. So I, I'm closing now. What kind of church is this church going to be? Can I tell this story and I'm done? I got to tell this story and I'll be all through. I used to coach basketball. We have a Christian school and I used to coach basketball there before I got so old. I've hung my necktie up now. But uh, I used to coach back in several years and it wasn't the coaching. We just had good players. But like several years in the row. I mean, I'm talking about five, six, seven years in a row. We played in the state championship game of the North Carolina Christian School Association. That's pretty big stuff because there's like 35, 40 schools in our division. That's pretty good stuff, man, when you made that state championship game. Now, we didn't win them all, 
But we played almost every... And, and every year, invariably, when we got to the state championship game, I would always tell this story. And I want to close with this story tonight. I heard about this wise old sage, wise old man that lived on the outskirts of a town. And he was so wise, nobody had ever been able to stump him. People had come for years and they'd pose questions to him and riddles and mysteries. But without fail, he always gave the right answer to it. And nobody had ever, ever been able to stump him. Well, one day, somebody from up north. Why is it they're always from up north? Somebody from up north came and found out about the wise old man and how he'd never been stumped before. And so he said, hey, I can stump him. Somebody said, how are you going to do that? He said, it's easy, man. Here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to walk out there to the wise old man's house and I'm going to knock on the door. And in my hand, behind my back, I'm going to have a little bird. And I'm going to walk up to the wise old man and I'm going to say to him, I'm going to say, sir, I've got a bird in my hand behind my back. And my question to you is, sir, is the bird living or is the bird dead? And he said, if the wise old man says the bird is living, he said, I'm going to pinch his head off and pull it around, show him a dead bird. But if the wise old man says the bird is dead, he said, I'm just going to open my hand and let it fly. Everybody said, oh man, he's, he's had it. You've got him. There's no way he can give the right answer. And the whole town followed him out to the, to the old man's door. He walked up there. Knocked on the door. The wise old man came and he posed that question. Sir, I have a bird in my hand behind my back. And my question to you, sir, is the bird living or is the bird dead? And everybody's standing there with a big grin on their face. And the wise old man looked at him up and down. And then he said this. That's up to you. That's up to you. Can I tell you what kind of church y'all going to have? That's up to you. I mean, if you're dissatisfied with what's going on here and we got enough money to keep the lights going, we pay the preacher and we're dissatisfied and comfortable the way it is, okay, that's up to you. But if you want to grow, if you want to see this place full to capacity, if you want to bring in hurting people, and you want to be happy people, and you want to be honest people, if that's the kind of church you want, watch this. That's up to you. It's up to you. So I guess it just goes back to us now. Okay, what kind of church do we want Wall Ridge Baptist Church to be? Don't be mad at me, but my wife, I don't know why. When when preacher called me and asked me to come, I guess I've been watching too much Little House on the Prairie. Because when he asked me to come, I put in my phone, Walnut Grove Baptist Church. So my wife asked me last week, said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Walnut Grove Baptist Church. Because I guess I had that off the little house on the prairie on my mind. But I ain't talking about Walnut Grove Baptist Church. I'm talking about Wall Ridge Baptist Church. And you're going to have the kind of church that you want to.